Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. This time things are open. I was able to walk down the Mount of Olives, uh, spend some time in, the, uh, in Gethsemane praying, and then cross the street over to the Western Wall. So it's, it's really interesting, all of this, how it comes together in the Bible. But there are a lot of things in the Bible that, we, that, that aren't preached, and I think this is one of, one of them that's very important to understand. Uh, the Bible says the city of Jerusalem was moved over its entrance, saying this, Who is this? Right? Who is this? This is a, pro- a prophetic statement, by the way. Who is this Jesus? You know, because the celebration was understandable, wasn't it? Right? He, it, because he had changed so many lives, but there were those who were curious to what was all the commotion about. So they were saying, who was he? Who is this guy? And as the lame walked again, right? Am I correct? You all read your Bibles, right? The lame walked again, the dumb now talked, the deaf were now hearing, and the blind were now seeing. And the dead were now living for him, and the living were now willing to die for him. So who is this Jesus? Amen. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that you do for us in this church, through Jesus and for his sake. He is our Savior, and we know that. And I'm actually praying to you, Jesus. I'm actually asking you to be a part of this message. In a way, Lord, that maybe um, uh, we haven't given you enough respect in concerning your house where we meet with you together corporately as a church, how important it is to you that this remain a house of prayer. So, Father, I pray, Lord, just help us. Help me. My knees are feeble, but I serve a strong Savior. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you turn to Isaiah 56, and I'm going to show you something from Scripture that I found in my own studies that really touched my heart, and I want to share that with you today. Um, and in the weeks ahead, uh, we'll be doing a lot of different things, and, but I think we un- need to understand that uh, prayer is behind them all. The prayer conference that is coming shortly is going to be, uh, the, I'm going to have uh, five different preachers, including myself. So somebody's going to preach in the morning on Sunday, in the evening on Sunday, and then they're going to preach Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, with the conclusion being on Wednesday night. Because we're going to attempt a lot of things this year. And I want to make sure that we got power behind them. And the only way we're going to have power behind them is to go to the foot of the cross and bow down before Jesus. And that, not, He's not on the cross. Uh, but what He did on the cross, uh, we know that He can conquer and do anything through the power of God. So, we need to bow down to him and pray and ask him to, uh, to empower us to get these things accomplished for him. Now, I'm going to read it in just a second, but by the way of introduction, I want to say a few things. All right? They were supposed to know who it was. Who is this? They were supposed to know who it was. Uh, you can be sure when Jesus enters, someone's life is going to be changed. Amen? And when that life is changed... Immediate celebration follows, and there was a lot of celebration going on there. I remember when I got saved, a celebration that followed that next day at work when I went in and tried to lead my employees to the Lord. They thought I was absolutely out of my mind, but I was, I was loving every minute of it, 
All right? Uh, so when that happens, there's always going to be someone, listen to me, there's always going to be someone asking, who is this Jesus? Yeah, when, when you get saved and things change, they're going to be asking that. And then they're going to say this. The second question is going to be, what happened to you? <laughs> You're not the same person you used to be. My father dealt with that for years, trying to understand what happened to my life. Uh, you, you don't do the things you used to do with us anymore. What's up with that? You know? You're no fun anymore. You know, until he got saved. Then that changed for him. Then he was going to church, and he was doing the things that I was doing that he was condemning. Uh, but now he was doing it, and he was receiving the condemnation. So it's the curiosity question that always follows him all the time. After seeing him change someone's life, it brings so many people to want to know him. They just want to know who this is. And we're supposed to be the, the channels uh, of bringing that truth or that information to them. So here it is, Isaiah. He's 700 years earlier. He answered that question. And it's amazing how he did this. Isaiah is the book of the Bible that describes him best. And he describes him in great detail. I, I suggest that you spend a lot of time in Isaiah because uh, you'll see who Jesus is. Isaiah is the main prophet who ushers into the world most all of the prophetic truths about Jesus Christ. So this is why Isaiah is my favorite Old Testament prophet, and he'll probably become one of yours too. Listen to some of them. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, listen to this, has laid the iniquity, or laid on him the iniquity of us all. Can you imagine what he bore on that cross that day? He laid on him the sins of the world. I, just, I can't even imagine what was happening uh, to him and his body at that particular time in his spirit. But one of Isaiah's prophecies that is often overlooked is found in Isaiah 56. Who is this? And he tells us in 56, 1 through 8. So here we are in Isaiah 56. I'm going to read it for you. 1 through 8. Thus saith the Lord, Keep ye judgments and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from the, his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. You know what he's saying there? There's anybody's going to say, I, I, out there in the world, once he comes, that I, I, I'm not accepted, or I won't be able to be a part of his life, because he's accepting everybody. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuch that keep my Sabbath and choose the things that please me and that take hold of my covenant, even unto them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than, the, than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. There's the key right there. 
I'll give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. See the keys? The house of prayer. And their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And the Lord God which gathereth the outcast of Israel saith, Yet will I gather others to him besides those that are gathered unto him. Who is Jesus? Wow. Well, Isaiah tells us he is the God who is over his house of prayer. Do you all understand that this is a house that he has established? His church is his house. And, and yes, there's, it's a building, and we know the church is the people. But I want to tell you something. It's a very important spot you're sitting in right now. It's holy ground as far as I'm concerned. right? God who is over the house of prayer. So he's not just over Israel, but for all people and all nations of the earth, he's over there. It's a house for them to pray unto him. In one area, Christians and Jews alike, are, uh, that, that is alike, is in this area of prayer. I told you as I walked up to the wailing wall to pray, a Jewish man came over and asked me where I was, first asked if I was a Jew, then asked me where I was from, and then asked me uh, about my faith, and I talked to him about his faith for a minute, and before I knew it, we were, we were hugging each other, uh, and then we locked arms, and then we walked to the wall together, and he said on the way, he said, we, we walked to the wall in unity. Now listen to me. What he was saying was, in, in his way, in his vernacular, he was saying is we're going to walk to that wall to the same God. That's what he was saying. Now, he may not believe Jesus is the Messiah, but he certainly believes he was a good boy. Right? And I may not uh, believe there's another Messiah beside Jesus, but we agree on one thing, and it's the same God we serve. And that's the truth. It's not Allah. There's only one God. And that's our God, Jehovah. So, when I think about this, one area Christians and Jews are alike is in the area of prayer, and we pray to the same God, so prayer is where we always begin. And that's where we're going to begin today. First, let me begin with the two highlights of my recent trip, right? right? So that was one of them. I went to, I went to uh, the wall with one Jewish man. Uh, but the other part of it was when I came home, uh, I, I sat with a Jewish man on the air, in the airplane, and uh, I handed him a track, and we talked about salvation, but he was more concerned about a book that he was writing, uh, which was called How to Achieve Clarity. And here I was giving him a track, and there's clarity right in that track. I mean, it was a simple track that I hand out. And we got to talk about a lot of things uh, at that visit that we had up 30,000 feet in the air, coming home 12 hours in a plane. But there was one thing that happened, didn't happen over in Israel that, very, that disappointed me, and I didn't get to go to Yad Vashem. They say just one visit changes a person's prayer life and also changes your life forever. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who is now the governor of uh, Arkansas, they asked her one time, what was the most life-changing moment in your life? 
And she said, when I visited Yad Vashem as a 12-year-old girl, she goes, I left there a totally different person. Uh, because they've done such a good job understanding who God is and what he allows sometimes and what they have to go through. And I even talked to my tour guide and I said, I'd like to get there, but I understand we can't get there. And he said, you won't leave there with a dry eye. And, and it's the truth, right? Even unto them I will give my house and within my walls a place and a name better than of the sons of, and of the daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. In verse 5. So Yad Vashem is the Hebrew word for the everlasting name. Um, God gave Jews an everlasting name to be placed in the house of prayer forever. One of the passions, we must never forget this, one of the passions of Jesus Christ as our God is prayer. Specifically the prayers made in this house. This house that we sit in right now. Do you realize that as they were celebrating, taking him and he's riding a, uh, the colt of an ass running down the side of this mountain into the city. The first thing he does is he goes in and he throws the money changers out of his house. Why? Because it was a house of prayer. Why is that so important to him? Well, it's because one of God's passions is prayer. Specifically, the prayers made in his house or his church here. Uh, it is the greatest form of worship to him. You see, we worship God with our lips and praise. We worship God with our gifts and offerings, and we also worship God with our hearts and prayer. He designed it that way. And when that veil was torn in two, it opened that door up that we could come right to the throne room of God in prayer. So prayer is extremely important to God and to Jewish people and should be to us as Christians. It's not to be taken lightly. It is so important that just prior, listen, to the Via Della Rosa, Right? That's where he, that's the road of suffering, they call it, where he had to walk with his own cross uh, uh, to the crucifixion grounds. His final steps, right? He saw those money changers uh, somewhere in that process there, and he just uh, let them have it. I mean, he did business there in that temple grounds. Why? That was the place we were going to meet him after he rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven. Uh, because his house was to be a house of prayer. And interesting here is that even with the crucifixion on his mind, he was angry over their disrespect over the house. I, please don't take this the wrong way. But this is not a house to bring your drinks in. This is not a house to, you know, to uh, have, have fun. This, this sanctuary here. This is, a, this is a place that God meets with us in prayer. You know, I, I understand it, and I don't think he's angry with anybody that does that. But it's, it's, it's how do we perceive this house when we walk into it? Is it a casual appearance, or is it a close appearance? In other words, are we coming in to get as close to him as possible? Is that how our Christian walk is? We just want a casual walk with Jesus, or do we want a closer walk with Jesus? Now, I want to be as close to him as possible. And he has made a, the, a building, right, where the church gathers as a place where we can come in and he promises to be there in the midst. He said, I'll be right there. Do you understand every time you miss a service, you're missing him in the midst of his people? Because he promises to be there. He wants to, he wants to communicate with you through prayer, through preaching, Right? So look at verse 7. It says, For my house shall be called the house of prayer for all people. You know, uh, uh, excuse me, is that the, Yes. 
my precious, precious family, do you realize what you have right here in this church, in this building? I think Daryl was. It was you not too long. I'll pick on you. You're here today, so I'll pick on you, all right? He's got a fiancé. He walked into this place, and he looked around, and he, his fiancé is in Honduras. So he got on the FaceTime and texted her, did this with the thing, and she said, that would be a beautiful place to get married <laughs> You have a beautiful place here. But what makes this place beautiful is that God meets us here. This is the place where we as a corporate team meet with him. It's important. And you should be able to feel his passion for prayer in this place. So we'd be foolish to neglect or, or, or uh, neglect our greatest responsibility to the house of God, and that's just prayer. People cry out to God here. He hears them here, answers them here as a family. Now understand, he can, you can cry out to him anytime you want to, anywhere, and he's going to hear you as a Christian, and he's going to be listening and answering. That's, that's a personal, uh, one of the personal rewards we get for being one of his disciples and being saved. But he likes when people gather together. In fact, there's a table in heaven he's making for us all to eat at together. You know, that's the way our God is. So one of, one of the Lord's passions was prayer, even more specifically, specifically was the prayers given in his house. Now here's where I'm going with this. The Yad Vashem memorial in Israel was erected by Israel to give homage to God and to honor those innocent Jews who lost their lives in the Holocaust. It's a place where many people come from all over the world to offer their prayers, right, and to give homage to Israel uh, as his everlasting nation. So the house of God was erected by God for the same purpose. This building was erected, I don't know how many years ago, for that purpose. Uh, it's also a place to give honor to Jesus who would come and give up his life for his church. This is the place where Jesus meets with us as a team. This is a place wherein we stand. Jesus gave his life for to build. This is the place he said that he, he said that he, uh, your husbands are to love their wives like he loves the church. So Jesus not only opened the door to heaven for us, he opened the throne room of God to our prayers. It's very, very important to him to communicate with us. Psalm 66, 19 through 20. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be the God which hath not turned away, hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. It's right here, right here that Jesus chooses to meet with all of us corporately. I love that thought. I just love it. Uh, this is his holy sanctuary. It's right here where Jesus chooses to meet with us. This is the place that he would call holy ground. It's the place where you meet God. And God is passionate about his church and the prayers that are made here. The church is where he speaks to us. It's the place he hears from us as a body. And now you can see why he was so passionate about protecting the purity of that, of that place there at the holies of, just outside the holies of holies. Why? Because this is a representative of that sanctuary where the veil was removed and replaced with Jesus Christ himself. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, 
and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. See, because of Jesus and the church where, he, where we as a family can meet with him, every, every day people can just touch the heart of God right here. Every day. I sometimes come into the sanctuary when nobody's here and just get on my knees and pray. Sometimes I'll walk through the seats and I'll pray every, you know, I don't know who's going to be sitting here this Sunday, Lord. I don't know who it is. But I know you want to communicate with them. So this is why it's so important to begin this message in our season with this passion for prayer. I want you to see the Yad Mashem of this place, okay? I'm going to just give you a few points and we're done. I promise you it won't be long. But I think it's important for us to understand this. Number one is this, is that the, his house is a place of recognition. If you look at verses 1 and 2, it says, The Lord keep you judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be re revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Listen to me. This is not the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was made for Israel. That's who it was there. This is the Lord's day. All right? This is the, the day of the church. All right? So it's not the Sabbath day. So don't get confused when seven-day Adventists come up to you and tell you that we're defiling the Sabbath. We're not defiling the Sabbath. Right? That was a covenant between God and Israel, and I can show you that in the Old Testament in several different spots. Yes, it was one of the commands, but that command was distinctively for Israel to make sure that they kept that Sabbath holy. Now, Yad Vashem was built to recognize what had happened to them in, in the Holocaust because there will always be, now listen very carefully, there's always going to be the cynical people who will deny it happened. There's always going to be people out there who say there was no Holocaust. I, I happen to have a cousin that was married to somebody that said that from Germany. In the service, he married a German lady over there, and I love her. She is, now, she is now gone. I don't know if she's with the Lord. I hope she is. She, was, she ended up being a Catholic. Uh, but she said it was all propaganda. There was no such thing as a Holocaust. Now, I think she changed her mind before she died because now we have so much technology and information from historical records that we can prove that it happened. But there will always be people who refuse to give recognition to the Jewish people. Always. And there will always be a Jewish people who refuse to give recognition to Jesus until he comes again. So for those who are cynical about the Jewish nation being a favored, having a favored relationship with God, just their perseverance through these many generations and attempts to destroy this nation, it just, just proves that their God is the real God, and that's the same God that we serve. The same is true concerning the persevering church. It turns the heart of cynical Jews to curiosity. They don't understand how we have a relationship, and they don't. We have a personal relationship when it's their God. You know, they don't understand that. I, I could feel that when I was talking to that young man on the plane. They just don't get it. Wait a minute, we're the chosen people. How are you saying you have a personal relationship with God? Well, I do. I have it through Jesus Christ, amen? It turns the hearts of Jews to curiosity. That's what it does. For anyone who is cynical about Jesus, the persevering church gives global recognition that Jesus is who he says he is. There's churches all over the world right now. The church gives recognition to the life, death, burial, 
and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It gives the authenticity to the God who built it. Because why? It prevails. My commentary that I've written is called The Prevailing Church. It just prevails. It just keeps going because God's got his hand in it. This is why we cannot call ourselves Christians and ne neglect our responsibility to the church. He wants us here. Every service, actually. He just wants any time there's a service, I should say, because he's here. So this is also why we cannot call ourselves Christians and neglect prayer. Because Jesus quotes Isaiah often, but nothing is more clear than verse 1. Keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come. God is nowhere nearer than right now to us than together when we're here. Isaiah was obviously given global recognition to the one who was coming as their Savior, but also to erase all the cynical criticisms out there about him coming. So the church triumphant is what closes the mouths of the critics and reveals the hearts of the hypocritical. The church not only recognizes and identifies Jesus as its head, right? it also helps show the cynics how to connect with him through prayer. Through prayer. This is where we learn how to pray, is in church. That's where I learned how to pray as a little kid. The only prayer I knew is, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's the only prayer I ever knew before I got into church. I remember when I first started calling to God in prayer, real, to show me that he was real. It, was, it started in church. Uh, when my mother-in-law came home uh, from a, uh, a revival meeting, she came home from a revival meeting, she was a struggling alcoholic, and told me she got saved. I wanted to know what she meant. Where do you think was the first place I went? Church. Right? And I went in there. It aroused my curiosity so much I began to be more and more attentive to the messages in church. I went right to the Bible and started reading it through. Oh, I mean, I can't tell you how many times in my lifetime I've read through the Bible, but I read through it quite a few times right there in the beginning, uh, just trying to understand everything about the Bible. I remember reading Jeremiah 33 3 in, uh, in church uh, Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And I said, that's what I want to know. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know the things that I don't know. So that was the day I personally began to call out to him. And that's the start of where I finally got saved, the day the church became a house of prayer for me. So Isaiah was one book God used not only to write the foreword for Jesus Christ, but also how to recognize him when he came. Notice the injunction of, of God in verse 1. Keep ye judgment. And do justice. The thought implied here is twofold. Now let me give them to you. First is, he's coming, so don't mess up till he comes. You know, don't mess up till he comes. The second thing is, is this, don't miss him when he does come. Isn't it unfortunate that Israel missed him? For the most part, they don't believe he's the Messiah. Uh, they allow us to come over there. Why? Because we, get, we bring money to buy the things, that, you know, and they're... And uh, it, keeps the, it keeps the nation going. And tourism is the number one thing in Israel, I think. But a lot of Jews, they can't even look at you because they think you're a curse to them. You're a Gentile. They, they walk by you and they go like this. Right? There's a lot of them still with that old Orthodox thinking, you know, that we're, we're a curse to them. So sadly, listen, 700 years later, they missed him 
700 years later, sadly, right, John the Baptist had to come and point them to their Savior. And he did. Because they weren't prepared. And they should have been. They should have known who he was. Secondly is this. God's house is a place of refuge. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 5. Notice the words of the end of verse 5. That shall not be cut off. Right? Matthew, re Matthew records the city of Jerusalem was moved over his entrance. In other words, they were, they were just moved. It was emotional. They say that no matter what your belief, your gender, your age, or what your culture is or country you come from, everyone who visits Yad Vashem, the museum, is moved. Can I tell you, honestly, every time I come into the house of God and I hear the word of God preached by the man of God, I'm moved. I'm telling you, I am. I'm not looking around saying, boy, that's a good message. Boy, I'll tell you, uh, you know, Daryl needs to hear that one. That's not what I'm thinking. I'm saying, no, I needed to hear that, Lord. Just this morning, someone came up to me in my Sunday school class and said, you just opened my eyes to something. Isn't that amazing what happens in the house of God? I, I, I think they're moved to tears. For, I think it's partly because uh, while there, it breaks your heart over the millions of people that were killed by a monster. But secondly, I think it, set, it sets us up for what's called survivor's guilt. In other words, it's when someone has feelings of guilt because they survived a life-threatening situation when others did not. Why did God choose to allow us to be here but allow millions to be sacrificed under Hitler's reign? Whichever it is, no one can deny there's a God in heaven when they go there to that uh, Yad Vashem, and no one can deny there's a God in heaven when you walk in the church. The museum reveals God was their only refuge. This church reveals that Jesus is our only refuge. What God was saying here is those who will live their lives preparing for their Savior's arrival would finally find their refuge in Him. They would one day be crying out, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Look at verse 6. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord, to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant. It says, even to the stranger and the servant who love the Lord and kept his word will find special blessings when he comes. Everyone will have the same privileges. Everyone's going to have the same access to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Along with Israel. So those in the church have all the blessings and privileges of Israel with full acceptance and access to God as they do. I, uh, the church is our place of refuge. It's here we find our peace. It's here our prayers meet with God's answers. Thirdly, God's house is a place of reception. Notice in verse 7 it says, For the mine house should be called a house of prayer for all people. God said his house will be open to everyone. Anyone can come and find access to God in the house of God. It's, it always amuses me. It does. When you drive down the road and you go by a church and there's a sign that says out there, everyone's welcome. Duh. You know what I mean? It's just funny that that's the line that they put out there. Everyone's welcome. Wouldn't it be like a normal thing? Like everybody's welcome? If that's not a given with any church, then there's something dreadfully wrong with that church. 
And maybe they have to put it out there because they're not meeting that goal, goal very well. But I, I once attended a service at a local synagogue. I, I just, just chose to be there. I, wanted to, I loved the Jewish people, and I wanted to be around them, and I wanted to go in the synagogue. I was wondering how they would uh, accept me, if they would accept me. Because the attendance was small that day, I was accepted. I was not only accepted, I was brought into a special room with about a dozen Jewish people, and they included me in their service. They loved on me, even though they knew who I was as a preacher and a, and a disciple of Jesus Christ. The most special part of the service was their praise and prayers. Do you know how the, the scripture says that the Psalms were prayers, uh, songs and praises of ascent into Israel? Well, that's what they do in a synagogue. When they do, they do these songs of praises and prayer and reading it, it taking you up to when they open the Torah. It's like a big deal to them. Then they open it up and it becomes holy and sacred and they lay it out and they read from it, then they close it. And then they do prayers and praise and they descent away from it. It was just very emotional for me to do that. The most special part was that. You know, how they just prayed and, and prayed and, and prayed and praised and praised and praised uh, to their God. Even though I cannot speak Hebrew, the sound of them praying brought me to tears. There was just something about uh, being in their house while they prayed. Can I just say something? There's something about being in this house when we pray together. That's why I love Wednesday nights. Uh, it's, the, to me, the second most important night of the week. It's way more important than Sunday evening to me. Sunday morning is where we all meet together, but Sunday, uh, Wednesday night is where we pray. It's where we get down on our knees and get close to God and really cry out with our burdens. Jews to this day have never been receptive of the idea that their temple should be open to any anyone other than themselves to pray. Yet, when the Messiah comes, the temple of Jerusalem indeed will be a house of prayer for all people. For everybody. The Lord, shall, the Lord which gathereth the outcast of Israel, Isaiah 56, verse 8 there, yet will I gather others to him be, uh, besides those that are, are gathered unto him. This is a very interesting verse. And I'll tell you why. The outcasts mentioned here refer to the eunuchs and proselytes. However, God also promised that he would gather others to himself. You all, if you were here last week and, and you're here this week and you don't have a little olive cross, uh, I'll give you one. I, 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 think I'm out of, I think I have some more in, a, in the RV. But that was made in a Palestinian-controlled territory called Bethlehem. Everybody familiar with Bethlehem? Well, we're standing in the shepherd's field. They call it the shepherd's field, field there in Bethlehem. And thinking about how God made this, his announcement to those shepherds, those meager, disgusting shepherds, because that's the way they were treated, I immediately thought of the verse of verse 147, Psalm 147 too. Right? The Lord hath built up Jerusalem, and he gathered together the outcast of Israel. Who are the outcasts? It's you and I. It's you and I. We as Gentiles were the outcasts who Jesus brought together with the Jewish people to meet their God. Can you all see where I'm going with this? I truly believe Isaiah 56, 8 is a veiled prophecy of the coming of the church. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 10, 14 through 16. 
I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine. And as the Father knoweth me, even so, now, uh, even so know I the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he says, and other sheep I have. I think that's us. I think that's the church. Israel's never looked kindly upon the church, partly because they believe the church was never in prophecy. But I think it was in prophecy right there. I think it's one of the spots where the coming church was revealed. Right there. It will be a place that welcomes everyone and where God invites everyone to meet with him. That's the church. The church is where Jesus is revealed and where Jesus is able to receive anyone. If you're here today and you don't know for sure if you died you'd go to heaven, uh, you don't know that he's received you. He's, he's ready to receive you. If you'll just repent of your unbelief and turn to him and trust him as your savior. I, uh, we are right now, <clears throat> we are right now all setting in a place of sacredness where people can not only talk with God, but they can receive their savior right here in this place. And there might be someone here this morning that's not sure, needs to receive Christ. Here, just know that here you are standing in the cleft of the rock. Just where Moses stood while God walked by. Jesus is here. You probably walked by him because he promised he would be here because God's house is a house of prayer. It's a place of recognition, refuge, and receiving. And lastly, and I close, and thank you for being patient. It's just a little after 12. God's house is a place of remembrance. You know, like Yad Vashem, where people come to remember those who died a senseless death at the hands of Hitler. God's house is a place for all people to come and remember the Christ who died a, sin, a, a, a senseless death, right, for our sins. Right? He, he didn't sin. He was sinless. And yet he had to die for us. And that's a place of remembrance. That's what we do every time we take of the communion cup, which, by the way, I'm going to have in a morning service. Right? Because I believe it's a time to do it. I just believe it's a time then when those that are unsaved have to make a decision. Because they can't take that cup if they don't know him as their Savior. There'd be no sense in doing it. In fact, the Bible even makes it clear that they may bring in a curse upon themselves. But they need to know the difference. You see, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Right? Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So when we come into this house, what does it do? It reminds us of all those who still need to be delivered from death and hell. It also reminds us of all those that were once sitting here who were delivered from death and hell and now they're in heaven. So the whole, greatest holocaust is yet to come when literally millions of people will be cast into the lake of fire. Do you want people saved? Is that the desire of your heart? If we're ever going to see God move here, it must begin with our prayers for that. Gathering together to pray helps us remember the millions of souls who are dying without Christ. So who is Jesus? And he is your answer to your greatest need. He is your God. He is your only Savior. He is here right now. This is who God sent to change your life forever. Don't miss him. 
Don't walk out this door and miss Jesus Christ. The question is, who did Jesus bring here today who's in need of him? Who did Jesus put on uh, social media today to listen to this message? Who's in need of him? And he's reaching out to them right now. And a simple prayer for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved will bring them right into his presence. Yad Vashem, the everlasting God, gathering his everlasting family. That's who Jesus is. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. I don't know who's here with Jesus or without Jesus. I know by the fruits of those who have been here for a long time that they're certainly with Jesus and have Jesus as their Savior. But there might be a young child here that's been coming to this church, been struggling with who Jesus is. And I want to tell you, he's your Savior. He's your everlasting God. He's been trying to reach you. He's looking for you because you're not looking for him. And he's trying to turn your eyes to him so that you'll give your life to him and he'll change your life forever. It'll begin the moment that you do that today. What better place in the house of God? You're sitting with everlasting people in here. He wants you a part of that family because he loves you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anybody in here today that would say, I, I don't know for sure that I'm saved by the raised hand. I don't know for sure that I'm saved, but I want to be saved by the raised hand. Is there anybody here? Just raise your hand. I'm just going to say amen. I'm not going to pick on anybody or embarrass anybody. I don't know for sure if I am truly saved, but I certainly want to be saved. I'll see your hand, and I'm going to contact you later, and then we'll talk about it. Anybody at all? Well, how about the rest of us? How important is this place to you? This is a place of an everlasting covenant between God and man. The church, the body of believers. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.